Hey, you guys, this episode is with writer, podcaster, and one of my new favorite people, Molly McAleer. She's one of the founders of the website Hello Giggles. She's a writer for Two Broke Girls, and she just wrote the ebook, which should be available, I think, the day after you hear this, The Alcoholic Bitch Who Ruined Your Life. So you're definitely going to want to go get that. And I hope you enjoy the episode. I think you will. I really enjoyed talking with her. But first, something I want to tell you guys about, and that is Nature Box. You know you're going to snack, and when you do, you want it to be worth it. You want something that's tasty and satisfying but doesn't make you feel guilty afterwards. And what you need are snacks from NatureBox. Choose from over 100 healthy and crave-worthy options to be delivered right to your door. All their snacks are made with zero artificial flavors, colors, and sweeteners, zero grams trans fats, and no high-fructose corn syrup. And best of all, they taste amazing. They're all so good. Uh, so much better for you than other snack options out there. So next time you're hungry, grab some sweet blueberry almonds, salted caramel pretzel pops, parmesan garlic pop pops there's so many more and they're all so good and right now if you go to naturebox.com slash allison you can get a free trial of your favorite snacks so again that's free snacks delivered right to your door go to naturebox.com slash allison again that's naturebox.com slash allison to start your free trial today all right here is the episode allison rosen allison rosen is your new best friend allison Hey everyone. Hi. Hello. It is me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. My guest today is Molly McAleer. Hello. Hi. How I'm, are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm saying your last name right, right? McAleer. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. Think that was a, a shade of correct. That's acceptable, whatever it was you just said. I think I said McAleer. I think you did. What yeah. kind of inco- <laughs> incorrect ways of saying it have you heard? McLear oh, is a big one. McAleer. Yeah. It's no, a big one. I think I was in the realm of correct. Yes, you were. No, because you got the A sound, the invisible A between the M and the C. Mm, right, I didn't Scottish. go McAleer. No, no. Well, welcome. Thanks. You are a TV writer, mm-hmm. a blogger. Yes. A um, kind of an entrepreneur. Kind of, yeah. A dog owner. I am. An ebook owner. Authress, which is not a word. I, th- I actually way prefer that. I think we should make it something. Yes, because someone said author to me yesterday. I was like, first of all, it's an ebook. Let's calm the fuck down. Secondly, <laughs> uh, that sounds like a very important title that I probably don't. I mean, I'm, I just can't allow myself to have it. So, authoress is kind of good. Well, and in the ebook called "The Alcoholic Bitch Who Ruined Your Life," uh-huh. which is such a good title, you you jokingly talk about your feelings about it being an ebook yes tell me those well I mean I just didn't want to write a real book I thought it would be just like you know oh I'll write a quick little ebook and also the whole reason why I wrote the book was because I needed to pay to go to therapy which (laughs) I don't know if I or I need to pay to go to rehab basically I don't do I talk about that yeah go for okay it. so basically I n- was gonna go to rehab I it was a very impulsive decision I did not have I had the funds to go but I needed more to be safe and so I thought safe meaning so that you weren't clearing out your total exactly finances. like I needed to know that and I had no idea what would be the events that were going to occur so I thought as long as I have like a month's rent and like a little bit of spending cash I'm fine um 
And so I went to Thought Catalog, who I work with for freelance stuff, and I've worked with them on and off for years, and just said, hey, um, here's this ebook idea. I'm going to go to rehab. I'm going to keep a diary. It's going to be a total hero's journey, like going to just be sober from there on out, and that's going to be my book. And so can I have some money? And they gave <laughs> me they gave me a little bit of an advance, and I did not understand that with an advance, you don't get it all up front. I was like, oh, no, I just want the whole thing now. I'll just mm-hmm. take it now. They were like, that's absolutely not how – it's like that – this is so far from how it works. This is delusional that you're doing all this. And so it's like bail for your book, right? Because they're exactly. afraid to skip town. Exactly. Um, and it's, you know, it's an ebook. So it's not that $100,000 book deal that um, <laughs> so many people talk. Of. I feel like everyone I know has written a book, by the way. I, um, I'm not one of those people, but I feel that way too. And I also feel like, and I'm sure you have this too. I feel like I should have written many books by now. Totally. Not like there's many books in me. I just should have written them by now. Well, I mean, it's kind of, it is an insult because I get insulted when people are like, oh, the way you do that, that's so easy. But like, I'm at the point where I have a very, very small circle of friends. None of them are particularly remarkable. Multiple, <laughs> multiple of them are New York Times bestselling authors and they forget about it. It doesn't even occur to them on a daily basis that they've done this thing that, I don't know, when I was a kid, that was like going, being an astronaut or something. Is the problem that we're too remarkable? Probably, we might be too remarkable. <laughs> or think we think we are and therefore sparkly. we can't sit down and write the first book. Because you know, the, so. number two and three and four will just cut, will, they'll just flow once the first one comes out. Well, I've seen Bethany Frankel do it. She's got books <laughs> coming out of her ass. I just bought her dating book. The thing about her is she tells it like it is, girlfriend. <laughs> and, yeah. everyone, and that's so refreshing in this day and age when everyone else also tells it like it is. But she really, really does. Yeah. Do you, are you a housewives person? Um, on and off. I'm sure I would like it if I uh, spent more time getting into it. But I've fallen off the train and I can't get back on. So I guess the the short and the short and long answer is no. But I used to be sort of okay. Are I, you? I, well, full blown, but like only with certain seasons. Like I don't do OC because I didn't ever get into it. I'm mostly New York, New Jersey, and um, Beverly Hills. That's really all I have. So you're not Atlanta and you're not Orange County, or are there other Atlanta ones? Atlanta is. Is, was good for me the first couple seasons and then it just started to get really hectic Miami I always thought it was just like trash I didn't and, even know um, there was a Miami it was just like really bad fighting mm-hmm. isn't that and all I, of them kind of kind of but there's a certain t- like on, on New York Housewives there's a lot of like darlings being thrown around during <laughs> a fight and it's like I like that because it's so it's like watching people that should know better like have the rules go out the window but when you're dealing with like Miami, which to me, I saw what, like two episodes on a plane and had, had an anxiety attack because I was like, these people don't even understand that this is like baseline poor behavior. So that's why mm-hmm. I, I, I like a little bit of class in my right. You like that <laughs> marriage of high society with low rent behavior. Totally. I, New money. I did like the first season of New York. I liked New York for a while. I just, now there's new people and I can't keep up. Yeah, it's ever-changing now. It really is. Yeah, but Ramona's still there, crazy as ever. Turtle time, Ramona. Bethany's back. Well, maybe, is it already airing? Yeah. You'll like, I think you'll like it. it. Because she has a very, that's, it's a very specific journey to follow, I think, as a woman who desires success and, champions herself like because she has done a one like she's back where she started except Single. she has millions 
And she's like currently her whole storyline is that she's quote unquote homeless. She's living in the presidential suite at the Four Seasons. But her poor husband is camped out at her house. Anyway, I won't bore you with this. I just (laughs) I think I I think it's worth a revisit. Okay, I will. The thing is, my new love for Gilmore Girls because I kind of missed it the first time around, it's already threatening to mess up my marriage. So I feel like if I delve into Housewives, it's going to have to be a while he's not home activity. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I got my boyfriend to watch like one episode of Vanderpump Rules and I felt like (laughs) I, it was like, worse than being in your underwear on a first date like I was like you're just seeing all of me right now like you're seeing how gross it really gets that this is what I look forward to every week um so oh wait no you brought up Bethany though because we're talking about books yes so I just I've never wanted to like do I just you know I've been asked to write books and stuff but I like don't know what a book proposal looks like like I okay you are it's it's very there's a lot of similarity here in that um, if I can compliment both of us, which is both a compliment and narcissistic, we're both very good writers, uh-huh. but it's that it's, it's all the hoops you have to jump through to get a book published that at least is holding me back. Yes. And also, I don't know if you agree with this, but I find that it's very difficult to learn a new thing. Like it's, it's one thing to, to just do the same thing day in, day out. If I'm like cranking out articles I can crank, or podcasts yeah, or whatever, exactly. you, you can do that, but it's, um, retraining your brain to think a different way which was I'm totally when I started writing for TV that was I had to completely not abandon my blogging but it just was a completely different style of writing and your mind I think can only keep one style of writing active at one time yeah I know that so I um because I don't really know how to write a script and I've been asked a number of times is that something you're interested in you should try to do that write a spec script etc and it's only now that I'm old enough that I am, I'm now in that phase of life where I'm like, I'm just going to say no to the things that don't appeal to me. Yes. Um, even though I don't always totally do that. But I, in the last few years, when people ask me, are you interested in writing a spec script? I say, no. Right. <laughs> but for a while I was trying to, and that was something, that format was difficult for me. And then I would write a blog post and it just poured out of me. And I was like, right. what? I'm, I'm going uphill here. The best way I find to get yourself in, training shape if you want to write a a spec is to just watch pilots like watch like the Roseanne pilot and like I I always forget they're all the same Mm -hmm. like it's just it's the same exact thing and it sounds so obvious but like I think when you're a passive viewer your whole life and you're not thinking about writing for TV it's not how the formula is just right I never paid attention to the structure never and and then once I started to read pilot after pilot and watch pilot after pilot, I was like, oh, this is – and then at this point, something crazy has to happen, and then it kind of gets resolved at the end, but there's a bunch more question marks. Like, I never put all that together. Mm-hmm. So that was, I don't know, a little tip for people out there. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> sure. The people out there and I say thank you. So many things to talk about. I'm trying to figure out whether we should talk about how your career – journey or the rehab stuff i feel like since we already mentioned the rehab stuff a little bit yeah let's just jump into that Uh uh-huh okay so you got a third of a small advance to go to rehab yeah um and what was your experience like there and also what got you to the point where you felt like you needed to go to rehab okay well i do have an addictive personality and i one of those traits is that i can be very impulsive and i you know my dad passed away um two years ago and I didn't really know anything about him but I knew that he struggled with addiction and that's like ultimately kind of what killed him and um 
So I, I just was, you know, aware for the first time that I had no knowledge about my DNA. Like I didn't, I didn't understand like what I, – I guess my mom did a good job of hiding it from me, but maybe to the point that it didn't even occur to me that I could eventually develop an unhealthy relationship with substance, which is so not – the story that I hear from a lot of people where it's like if grandpa was a drunk, no one in the family drinks for like four generations after because they're all aware of like mm-hmm. how crazy grandpa got. I never heard any stories like that. So I decided to seek out a therapist who specialized in addiction, even though I didn't think I needed to go for me. I just thought maybe this is like the whole Al-Anon world. Some, maybe someone can speak to this, can help me out. Mm-hmm. And um, Were you already noticing potential problems in your relationship to substances? I have always been an all or nothing kind of girl. Uh, with drinking in particular, I never really enjoyed drinking um, until I totally quit smoking pot. And that was for, for a guy. Mm-hmm. Like a guy was like... I don't like I don't like you as a stoner like here drink this wine <laughs> and I remember being at his house one day and pouring myself a glass of wine and I said to him why do I like drinking now and he's like you're a lot better as a drunk and I accepted that as an answer <laughs> because I clearly have self-worth issues which is another trait of people who deal with this sort of stuff so I ultimately um I did not believe I was an alcoholic. I don't identify as an alcoholic. I think if anything, my drinking can be problematic if I don't keep an eye on it. But I had 64 days sober. They weren't the worst 64 days of my life. Um, I, you know, I decided to break my sobriety, which sounds so serious and is serious for a lot of people at a wedding because I was there and it was the drunkest wedding I've ever been to, which was not what influenced me. But I just was like, it's nighttime. I'm dressed up. I want to, you know, this is a really fun party. Like, I just want to have a glass or two of wine. And it was under control. It was all good. Um, But leading up to kind of this whole thing, my attitude, I had been unemployed for a while or underemployed, I should say, because I've always been freelancing. And um, I was dealing with some self-worth issues. I know that when I first started dating my boyfriend, I, I may have been even making more money than he was. But then all of a sudden, just like the tables totally, I they, they like they turned. Like I, You say who your boyfriend is, right? Yeah, Derek, Derek Waters, Waters from yeah. Drunk History. Best person ever. And so... Um, our, you know, our relationship was really, is still remains like kind of magical. Like, and I feel very protective of it because I never thought anything that great would happen to me. And, you know, we just got into like a couple fights that where I got mean and I'm not um, like, I can be snarky. I understand people on the internet always sometimes I people think I'm snarky. People are surprised when they meet me that I'm not like, Hey, asshole, fuck you. Like, I don't I don't know what people think I'm going to be like, but that's not me. I, if anything, I'm kind of like a cheerleader more than anything. And so I um, – Well, someone actually referred to you as an alcoholic bitch that ruined someone's life, right? Yes. That's where the title comes from. Yes. And, and that person – was right. And, and around them, I would I would drink to excess because I hated being around that person. I hated being – I couldn't stand it. Mm-hmm. And so 
But I couldn't, I hadn't reached the place in my life yet where I was saying no to things that were making me uncomfortable. And I was going into things with a full-blown sense of dread mm-hmm. and just and alcohol. Yeah. I, Cause I don't, I don't drink presently either. Um, or haven't for a while even, but I know that when I started, when I stopped drinking rather, or started not drinking, I noticed all the, so many things and situations were making me uncomfortable. And I realized, oh, these have been making me uncomfortable all along. I just used to drink to tolerate it. 100%. Yeah. And, and you know, so much of your job in this business is to be present. Like you have to be around and like, sometimes it's, difficult to be present while you're being present like sometimes <laughs> when you are aware of how shitty the situation you're in is in, you just kind of want to keep going back to that white mm-hmm. wine so yeah so I had a couple of fights with my boyfriend one I didn't reveal this in the book but one actually ended with me eating a fo- paper fortune from a fortune cookie because I thought if he saw it that he would break up with me <laughs> Because in my drunken state, I was like, oh, it says like, you will be happy soon or something. And I was like, not with me. He won't. And I like, <laughs> and I went into the bathroom and I ate the, the, he's like, you're eating a paper fortune right now. And I'm like, yep, that's right. I'm eating a fortune. <laughs> and it was, it was crazy. And so, um, I think like most people, especially being raised Catholic, I went to therapy and like immediately had like a shame spiral and was like. I think my personality is changing when I drink. I don't want to be an alcoholic. I don't want to be one of those people. So instead of doing what I probably should have done, which is like go to We Care in Palm Springs and get pumped full of carrot juice, like <laughs> I decided to take the therapist very, you know, um, he's a sober person. You know, I probably should have thought more about this. I think I was raised to trust and believe in everything doctors say. And he was a person of authority in my mind. And so when he said, maybe you should go to rehab, I was like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll go to rehab. And well, plus, it seems like such a wholesome, healthy choice to make. Right. Because I, I don't know if you're beating yourself up at all for your decision to do it, which the listener's probably like, what? But ultimately, it didn't turn out to be a positive experience for your rehab. But right. um, yeah, so I don't know if you are, but you, I don't think you should. I mean, it, I can see where at the time it seems like this is a really pro me healthy decision. I th- I think that, yeah, you're right. And I definitely, I mean, I was only going for a week, which is a complete, I mean, it's crazy that they even took my money because you really should be going to rehab for like a month if you actually need to be in a program a month is like a minimum and uh they saw me for they took me for only seven days and um I basically was just like quote unquote detoxing which I mean I guess technically like anytime you go from drinking half a bottle to a bottle of wine a night to not drinking anymore I guess there could be dangers but I'm like kind of a tank of a person and not even like I mean I could take like half a bottle of aspirin and not even feel it right now. So um, I I just didn't I didn't think that my withdrawal symptoms would be that were that bad. And they put me on all this Valium because that's what they do. They put you on Valium and anti seizure medicines to uh, get you off. And I I was on like ten to fourteen Valium a day. And what I, do they do with people who are trying to get off Valium? Um. You know, it's that's an interesting question. I think they taper you off. Mm-hmm. What was interesting is that they like accused me of being addicted to Valium and I was like, "No, like I, I am prescribed Valium, but there's 
um, 89 pills in this like jar of that was once 90. I'm supposed to take two of those every day. I've had this for three months. Like I don't take that. Um, and I felt I w- that was one of the most frustrating frustrating parts of it is because you automatically gets just treated like a criminal like the second you walk in the door. And I used I remember saying to them over and over again, "Hi, like you know I'm 30 years old. I've never killed anyone. I don't have a real problem. Like I'm not. I just like." I got mouthy with my boyfriend. I'm here to learn about disease. Let's like move the fuck on. And it was, but I, they were treating me like a criminal and I would have to constantly remind them like I was the one who gave you all of my prescription meds that could have stayed at home in a drawer. Like if you think that that was my motivation to like come in and I don't know, it just was, it was the wrong place for me. What I probably really should have done was like go to an ashram or like someplace where I could refocus. Were you hoping that it would be more therapy oriented yeah. as opposed to um, breaking down your spirit and telling you you're terrible. Yeah. What it sounds like it was. Yeah. I mean, I, I really thought that it would, I, well, I didn't know how unalert I would be throughout the withdrawal process and that by the time I was like four days into it, that's like m- most of my stay there. I hadn't gone to a meeting and I was like, I had gone to like one like art class <laughs> where I had to like draw my feelings and I was just like I feel like this is not getting the heavy duty work done that I thought I would be right. doing here like I, I and I don't I don't know what it was I really expected to learn about myself I I think that you know that's the big thing I try to tackle in the book is like I'm like I don't know you know <laughs> this is sobriety is such a vague thing like even if I even if I was to this day maintaining 100% sobriety I don't think that that would be the moral to the story because everyone that I talk to about this is just such a daily struggle things change all the time I don't know maybe in six years I could find myself in a position where I'm leaning too much on wine again or you know I actually think that there's definitely a chance that I might not drink at all in the kind of near future just I'm like thinking about drinking or not, it just makes me want to not drink. So I just, yeah, mm-hmm. but I didn't need the, I didn't need the experience I went through. I, I kind of put myself through something very unnecessary in an attempt to, I think, uh, I think not, not deal with not knowing what, like how to feel valued or something. Like I think that ultimately that's what it was, was that I was afraid I was going to lose my boyfriend because of my, because of bad behavior. And I felt like that was probably because ultimately I didn't deserve him. Like it, were you trying to push him away? Do you think? Um, I mean, you would have to guess that I, I would say like, I mean, I think he and and I have both like had different moments of like kind of sabotage. I think every real every relationship has moments where you're kind of like sabotaging it, even when things are great. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of me subconsciously was testing him to see like, well, can you handle this crazy? <laughs> can you handle this? And like that that I mean that's just fucked. That's like not well thinking. So that it was something that I needed to work on but I don't know but I don't know about you I just don't I don't have like relationship role models I have no idea what's normal like I am very new to the thought like thought that couples fight and like that's okay Mm -hmm. like I didn't know that so (laughs) I just assumed everything was a disaster and I had to fix it and I needed to go to rehab in order to do that like I thought it needed to be that I'm dramatic (laughs) I'm very dramatic there was a point um 
And everyone should go read the ebook because it's fascinating. It's out May 12th, but you can. May 12th. Okay. Yeah, you can pre order it on Amazon and iBooks. There you go. And if you're going to pre order it on Amazon, look <gasps> through the banner on my website, alisonrosen.com, because it doesn't cost you anything more, but it helps out the show. Uh, and buying it helps out Molly. Yeah. Right? Buying it anywhere helps, helps you out. Yeah. Get that advance covered. So That's that, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a point in rehab where you raise your hand and you very art- clearly articulate uh, kind of why you're there versus the way they're treating you. I was very impressed by – and sort of throughout, you were standing up for yourself. I was impressed by that. I was thinking it's been a long time since I've been in any sort of situation like that, but I know as a kid going to you know a bad summer camp or just a school situation, any- something where – where authority is telling me to do one thing and I, I just kind of fall apart. I yeah. have, I would like to think that I would be able to assert myself now. Um, but I know that that's something I have trouble with. Was that hard for you to talk back to them? No, actually, if anything, I've had a life. Lo- I, while I am very afraid of confrontation, I do have this like borderline autistic quality to me where I can't help but blurt out what I'm honestly thinking a lot of the times, like classic example when I was maybe like in ninth grade or something, um, a lesbian came to speak to our health class about how she was in a relationship with a, a, a man for nine years, even though she knew she was a lesbian and didn't want to come out to him. And, and I raised my hand and I said, um, at what point did you realize how incredibly selfish you're <laughs> using him to hide what you knew to be different about you was? And she was like, well, no one's ever asked me that. But she's like, actually, I, I do sometimes deal with feelings of maybe being a little bit selfish during that time. <laughs> and like the whole my, I remember my health teacher was like, no, that little bitch didn't just do that. But I did. I can't. Sometimes I can't. I felt like in that moment in the book, I felt that. Everything was being said except for the thing that was being said. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that. I, I, I am, uh, I suffer from, for my honesty. I really do. Like, I am naively believe that people care about the truth more than they do. I believe that people care about honesty more than they do. And uh, just because, yeah, that's so, that's something that I go for. But I know it's not always appreciated. <laughs> you grew up in boston yeah lexington massachusetts and you your dad wasn't around Mm -mm. um but you had a lot of uncles right so you didn't really realize that that you were unusual and that there wasn't a dad around yeah no we my mom was you know 21 when she had me so she moved home from college and finished up her degree and we lived with my grandparents and she was the middle kid so Two of my aunts and three of my uncles, everyone was still at the house. And so I just was around people all the time. And my grandparents like loved me obsessively. So I didn't know that I was I didn't have extra family. And I if anything, I thought dads were weird. Like I didn't know what they were really. <laughs> Is your memory of your childhood that it was happy? Kind of. I mean, I've always been a very like moody person, you know, and also being Catholic, like you're just like raised to think that everything you're doing is wrong so and that's just a 
I hate to use that generalization because I don't hate on, bless you. Thank you. I don't hate on Catholicism, but like the, that mindset is just very, it, it is what it is. It's very stifling. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I was happy. I, I remember like liking to make people laugh, but I also remember being very sensitive and emotional. And at a certain point, you decided you did want to get in touch with your dad. Yeah. When I was, well, when I was five, I asked my mom like, hey, um, my friend Katie's dad's picking her up from school tomorrow. Can my dad come pick me up? And she, uh, I had never even mentioned, no one had mentioned that I'd had a dad. So she was really like kind of weirded out, I think. And she was like, well, you do have a dad, but he lives far away. So grandpa will come pick you up, but you can meet your real dad soon if you want. And uh, then she called him up and said, hey, your kid wants to meet you. And we met like two weeks later for the first time. He, he was in my life from like five to ten. Yeah. And then at a certain point you felt, I know this from, re- from reading the ebook, you felt you just didn't want to be around him anymore because of a whole bunch of things that had happened. Yeah. Which again, that's an impressive ability to look out for yourself at that age. Well, I, I mentioned this in the book and it's weird because I don't think I was conscious. I don't think I was conscious of necessarily what I was doing, but I mean, there was basically like there's two incidents, at least in the book that I mentioned, where I could have died in my father's care. Mm-hmm. Um, like one time in particular, he handed me a loaded gun and I <laughs> forgot that until I was writing this book. And my mom read that and she was like, are you is this for fucking real? Because my mom knows I can have a dramatic flair. And I was like, yeah, no, that's real. That really happened. And she she had one of those moments when, you know, when you're like almost trip and hit your face and so all you can do is think about what would have happened if mm-hmm. you did trip and that she I could see that happening to her um but yeah I I sensed dan- I sensed unease which I think is what kids mostly can do is right. that they can read temperature better than most people and that's why uh, I just knew the scene with the dog I still feel haunted by that yeah yeah it was really bad putting so what happened was they put he was your dad was trying to protect his car, so yeah. he put the dog that was all dirty that they you guys took a dog to the park uh-huh. and then he put the dog in the trunk. You put the dog in the trunk and, and the dog was, was yelping. Yeah, no, you tell it, sorry. Yeah, no. I mean he was just like one of those um I mean I would say probably Wendy's size and maybe a little bit bigger, ganglier, because it was like a pit mix. And um he was jumping through like mud and my dad was always driving like old new cars that usually belonged to someone else that he was repairing. He was like a mechanic or something. I don't really know. And um, yeah, they put him in the trunk of the car. It was my dad and his brothers because they didn't want the, the seats to get messed up. And I was like, I think this is a bad idea. Like, but as long as we're just going right home, like, I guess, I mean, I was like, I'll get in the trunk with the dog. And they were like, no, you can't do that. But they, the, so the dog started to like cry, obviously. And they thought it was really funny, my dad and his brothers. And so they decided to take like a couple extra like tries around the block. And they were going really hard on the turns on the last couple of rounds because the dog was flying from one end of the trunk to the other. And that was the thing that I was just like, I'm done. Because if I more than I can love myself, I can love an animal. And I just was like that to me. I was like, oh, this is a reckless person. So – it wasn't really any of the stuff that he did with me that it was the dog that was the thing that but maybe that hi let me tell you about yourself even though we just met no maybe that was the thing that allowed you to see his lack of compassion yeah because from the outside in i am i would imagine some part of you 
was identifying with that dog's cries just because I think any I think when we feel that for animals like we're identifying yeah. with their vulnerability and their helplessness and I mean that's what gets me about the story the idea that someone could be hearing a dog freaking out and crying and their reaction would be that it's funny I find yeah. that chilling yeah I find that chilling as well yeah I mean it's just that is um you know I think part of it might be that they grew up during a little bit of a different time like in the 70s like people just used to get stoned and do stupid shit like that but I think he's also a diseased he was a diseased man so I don't think he knew how to I don't I think that he didn't see much outside of his own pleasure Mm -hmm. um it would be like there's all these little examples I didn't put in the book but like he had this girlfriend who would come visit with him sometimes I remember she wanted to like make a mold of my hand and like uh, salt and flour, that kind of dough shit. And my dad didn't want to take her to the store to get the stuff. And she was like, Chris, you see your kid like one day a month, like take her to the fucking art store. And my dad was like, I don't want to do that. And I'm just, I remember being a kid being like, I mean, I know people say no to me, but it does seem kind of fucked up that he only (laughs) sees me once a month. And like, I definitely remember him saying that it would, the whole thing would be a lot easier if I was a boy. The whole thing would have just been a lot easier on him. I wonder what that means. Because um, then maybe I would want to go shoot guns. Oh. Or maybe like. You think it's funny that a dog's crying. Yeah. I wouldn't get tired after like two hours of fishing. Like, (laughs) I don't know. But like, yeah. 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 I think I dealt with like, I think I dealt with that for a while. Like for a while, I'd say when I grew up, when I grow up, I want to be a boy. Which is so like I just thought that like boys had it made. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel about that now? I, I I love being a girl. It's been the best thing that ever happened to me. I thought it was so interesting. There's a point where your dad calls after you hadn't talked to him for a while. Am I giving too much away? No. Okay. The point where your dad calls after you haven't talked to him for a while, and your mom is at home. How old were you? Uh, I was about fifteen, I think. And you didn't know what to do, so you went onto an AOL chat room yeah. and you said, is there an adult here? I need to ask someone <laughs> advice. I think that's – it's yeah. so – I think I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by the way that kids know when they need an adult. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like I just – I knew I needed to speak to someone and like that was not – I didn't want to bring it to my grandparents I, and I didn't think I was – I knew better than to – say anything to my friends because it was just so weird that I was from a single parent family to begin with I, it was so not understood like how, that that's just another type of family like I felt very out of place growing up and never really knew how to explain to my friends why my family was different um so I just was like I need an adult and um <laughs> three women in an AOL chat room like broke off into a small chat and I say in the book I'm like who knows they probably were like old gross men I don't know but they sat with me for like two hours and were like explain the situation I explained they were like first of all you ha- like don't have to call him your dad he is your father a dad is a word that's reserved for a person who has earned that title and like it was really like kind of it, it, I don't think my mom could have ever explained something to me like that because she was so close to it so it was like these in a weird way it was like these outsiders looking into this little window that I gave them really helped a lot yeah because the internet can be such a horrible place sometimes but it also can be just what you need i mean i I never think of it as that like place where trolls are and like all these things that people talk about i i the internet has only helped me like it's since 
uh, you know, since I was a very little kid, since I was like uh, 10 or 11 starting my own blogs, like the internet has always just been like the greatest outlet and resource for me possible. And how did you, how did your relationship with the internet start? We just got, um, we got AOL dial up. We got a Mac and we got an AOL dial up situation. I was like sixth grade and I didn't really, you know, I had no parental controls and just went, you know, just went after the chat room scene, the message board scene. Then I started building my own little blogs. But like back then you could only get like a thousand characters of HTML (laughs) space. So like I would write a little story and then two days later I would delete it and write a new one. Like there was no... What were the stories about? I don't know. It depends. Like sometimes it would be like real life stuff or like I would exaggerate something that happened in real life or I would like um, fictionalize an event that had happened. And uh, I always wanted to try and write like Roald Dahl. That was my was so he your I, favorite. Yeah. So I would try to be as descriptive and gruesome as possible. Have you always wanted to be a writer? Yeah, but I didn't know it. I didn't know it. I thought I was going to be the governor of Massachusetts. Um, Did politics actually appeal to you or? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I think ultimately what it all boils down to is they just wanted to be heard. But I used to listen to talk radio obsessively as a kid. And who did you listen to? um, WRKO, which is a conservative radio station back in Boston. Um, Howie Carr, I think, still has his radio show there. Um, And there was these girls, two chicks dishing. (laughs) And it, they were the they were right before Howie Carr and or right after, and they would just dish. And I remember the first time I heard that's what we're doing. That the, yeah, two chicks dishing. And the first time I heard that they actually, I read in like the Globe or something, like under like a blind items, but not really. They they said that the two chicks hated each other in real life, and that blew my mind because in my mind they were just two chicks who loved to dish and in reality they hated each other so yeah wow a lot of that growing up and i used to call in a lot so what would you ask or what would i you would say? like argue like if uh like i knew a lot of like political facts that i've since smoked away but <laughs> i um i would just call if like if and be contrarian what so. kind of governor were you gonna be um, I mean, I don't think I got that far with my plan. I wanted to, all I knew is that I wanted to be the kind of governor who could, um, host a talk radio show in her retirement. That was, I knew that was more the goal. Um, and when you went to co- you went to Boston college, uh-huh. what did you major in? Um, film. I started out poli sci and then just like gave up. And when you switched to film, I mean, at what point did you realize that writing was what you were going to do? I got into a sketch group my first week and I didn't know what sketch comedy was. And they were like, it's like SNL. And I was like, so everything's written down. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, okay, so I guess I should try to do that. And so I just started practicing writing sketches and then I stopped going to class. And then I just... Because you loved it so much? Yeah. I basically just did what I needed. I didn't read any books in college. I just did what I needed to do to get in and out of there so I could stay in my sketch comedy group and write as much as possible. And what did you do to get into the sketch comedy group? Um, It was like an audition and a callback sort of thing. I mean, it was, it's very dramatic. It's actually, it was funny. We ju- I just had Cameron Esposito on my podcast. She went to school with me. And like, when I tell you that we all thought we were like, comedy legends we were all going to be famous like we would be together 
forever like <laughs> i have a hello shovel head tattoo on my body that's the wow and that's the Be- name of the group where yeah. is it at boston college no oh, no, no oh. the tattoo? Oh, it's on, it's on my well i remember my mom uh, being afraid that my mom would see it. i got it when i was like nine no i was like 20 and so I, I remember still being afraid enough of my mom that I knew I, I needed to have it be hidden even in a bathing suit. Mm-hmm. So it's like on my hip where a, ba- where a bikini would still right, cover it. Right, Yeah. And does it just say hello shovel head or? No, it's like a shovel. Uh, it's the head of a shovel wearing a bow tie. <laughs> it's like one of two kind of phallic tattoos that I have. The other one is Picasso's the dog. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Now is but Hello Shovelhead is still together and they're still at Boston College. Yeah, it's like gets passed down, right? You know, and so I don't know what they're doing now. I mean, I I used to get I was known as Auntie Malls, like I was the one that everyone came to. So um, for years after I graduated, it's been ten years now. But for the first like five years after I graduated, every year I'd get like five new friend requests, like <laughs> the first week of school, and I would know those are our new Shovelhead people. <laughs> So, yeah. And did you move? What did you do after college? Um, I lived with my parents for two months, and then I did not want to do that anymore, so I moved to Los Angeles. I moved into a frat house with 32 guys at UCLA, founded on Craigslist for $235 a month. I shared a room with five Irish girls. One of them was a severe alcoholic um, and was just kind of – my college boyfriend insisted that I wait for him. So, uh, so I – waited like in a frat house in a frat house for three months and then he moved out and we got a lovely place in koreatown what was the experience of living in the frat house like because that sounds awful to me it's disgusting okay um i mean like i was open to the idea i might be wrong i was so naive that in that like i really was like why do people keep taking my food like and it's because you're living with animals like it was so dirty it was so gross the brothers did have like a chore chart and I thankfully I had nothing to do with it as a guest. I was exempt from having to like do any of that stuff. But um, yeah, like the guys, there was a woman's bathroom downstairs it was designated for women, and the guys, that's where they would shit, <laughs> and they would oftentimes not flush. Um, I remember it being really convenient because there was pretty much always someone around to sell weed. But then I was the one, like I think that I was the one that was vocally buying it from the guys that I was living with. And so the older brothers in the chapter had to be like, hey, stop like housing these young girls and selling them pot. That's crazy. Um, it was, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't spend a lot of time in the house. Mm-hmm. I was just really hot. Um, no air conditioning. I remember I was watching Murder, She Wrote on DVD that summer and just lay in my bed and Think about how I was living in the big city, making it. <laughs> then your college boyfriend came out. You guys moved to Koreatown. And what were you doing for work at this point? I was uh, the executive assistant uh, to the CEO of a web-based animation company. That was like one of the first websites I remember going to and being like, oh, they make content for people like me. And um, it was really hard. Like I don't have an assistant's personality. Like I like go get your own fucking yogurt is like my <laughs> attitude so that and and you know I got pretty intense like I was coaching his kids basketball team I do not play basketball <laughs> he just like couldn't fulfill mm-hmm. his obligation and so I would go oddly enough um it just was really weird it was a really it was not 
it was not a great setup because I was working full time for I had a job I wasn't good at and then going home and my boyfriend was not working laziest person ever like didn't even he couldn't even get a job at FedEx because he failed the piss test um I didn't write this in the book, but this is a fun fact. We were, I was been trying to break up with him for a really long time. And he kicked me out of the bedroom, my bed, and made me sleep on the couch for like a month. And I did. Why? And then why did I do that? Why did he kick you out of the bed? Were you guys- because he knew I didn't want to date him anymore. Oh. I was like actively trying to break up with him and be like, can you get your own place? Like we are obviously on different oh, okay. life paths. So it wasn't like you were just silently simmering you you were trying to break up with him. i was saying to him like i was sitting him down for that breakup talk like once a week and it would always get turned hey have you we've all been in that relationship where like the person convinces you to stay with them even mm-hmm. though you're like completely miserable so and i was you know i was 21 we've been the other person <laughs> exactly i know i think i i think i've been that girl too uh but yeah i uh yeah so i slept on the couch for a month and then one day he had gotten an internship reading, doing coverage for some some producer. I don't know who. One day, I get a phone call from him saying, hey, I need you to pick me up. And I'm like, it's like 10 a.m. Where are you? And he's like, I'm at my coworker's house. Her name was Jamaica. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> and I said, why can't you get yourself home from Jamaica's house? And he said, I can't find my keys. And I said, how did you lose your keys in Jamaica's house? And he was like, I don't know. We were just really drunk last night. I slept on the couch and like uh, I lost I lost my keys. And I was like, OK, sure. And so I drove over. It's actually kind of in this area. Oh, I drove over. I don't know any Jamaica. Picked him up. Yeah. I, I hope to God she is back wherever she came from. But then so I'm driving him home and I'm like, so like, let's talk about what happened. I'm picking you up from another girl's house like at 10 in the morning um, after a night you don't remember and you can't find your car keys. Like what really happened last night at Jamaica's house? And then we were pulling into the driveway I remember I'm pulling into this tiny driveway in Koreatown and he says to me, she blew me, okay? Is that what you want to hear? And I was like, (laughs) I was like, I mean, no. I was like, but yes, like, but also I kind of don't believe you. Like, but I think that, I think. You don't believe that it was only that or you don't believe that it was that? Uh, he just was like, he was a late bloomer. Like, he, like he wound up telling me that he was a virgin the first time we slept together, like six months after we had been dating. And I was like, yeah, no shit. Like, I, <laughs> I could figure that out. Right. But uh, so I just didn't, I didn't think, kind of didn't think he had that much game to like be getting casual BJs from girls he works with when, who know he has a girlfriend. Well, my reaction from the second I started hearing the story was he could have called other he there's a reason he he wanted you to know there's oh, a reason 100%. he called you yeah. take a cab home what are right. you fucking nuts anyway his keys were in jamaica's boot and um <laughs> yeah so there's that um <laughs> i know i know it's it's so and then it took him another month to like get out of my apartment for good but it was it was don't move in young folks i know you think you're saving money Go find a nice, reliable girlfriend. Go find a Craigslist roommate. Your boyfriend can live down the hall with the friend. You don't need to live together. It's too much. What was your next job? Uh, I was writing and producing sketch uh, comedy things for uh, this HBO website, This Just In. That was part of like the Chris Albrecht reign and mm-hmm. all that stuff kind of went away after he st- stopped being at HBO. And were you doing 
Sorry about the Wendy of it all. Were I you doing on-air stuff at this point? Because you do on-air stuff too, yeah. right? Um, I that was the first time I they I was like even being considered for that sort of stuff. And then um, after that, I went to Defamer where I was just a videographer, and then this opportunity came up to do. They offered me like an extra two hundred fifty dollars a week to write these posts called the to dos, which is basically just like bullet points of different things to do in LA that night. And I said, what if I made it into a video? And like, I was like the person explaining all the things you can do. And what and, made you think of that idea? Um, I just wanted to step it up a notch. Like I was working at Gawker and do like pulling all these important video clips that like the Tom Cruise Scientology thing that wound up like going viral. And like, my name was just so rarely on the site for how much I felt I was contributing. And then mm-hmm. also, you know, I was, was that because of your pulling it that it went, I mean, did, were you the first one who pulled it? I Gawker was the one site that wouldn't take it down. So to this day, I think my name is on that post. They mm-hmm. were like ripped by defamers, Molly Macklear. For a while, I had to take down all my information off Facebook because they, I was advised by Gawker's lawyers because they were in a huge, yeah. huge feud. Yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, I think that I also was just like a young girl after my hustle. Like I knew <laughs> that I was not going to if if I didn't. I was like, first of all, no, I don't know anyone who will do that for two hundred and fifty dollars. I will do it and. I not only will I do it, but I'll make it all about me. So <laughs> I, uh, I, yeah, that's how that happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did you start working for Gawker and did you like it? Um, yeah, yeah, I loved it. It was a dream of mine to work for Gawker. I specifically defamer cause I used to read, I, you know, I didn't think people had the same thirst for like celebrity gossip and Hollywood news that I did. And I remember stumbling across defamer and like actually, crying sometimes when I read it because I'd be like so relieved that someone else got the joke I'm like that's the joke that I would have picked too and like so that person's must be like really chic or something (laughs) um and also like relieved that my mind is working in that way and um so it just happened to be an open position my friend Eric Spiegelman um knew Mark Lasanti who had started it and said um I know this girl she works at HBO with me like she's going to borrow a camera. So I had to basically go out and do a nightlife video. And then what I had at the time was all of the HBO resources. So I had a really sick camera. I had like total access to whatever editing bay I needed. And I put together just like a really great audition. And um, yeah, that's how I got hired. And then at a certain point, you've you've co-founded Hello Giggles, right? Was that a while after or close to that? Uh, no, it was like a few years. I was just like bouncing around doing, I worked for Style Network, like logging tapes um, for a reality show called Clean House, um, which is basically Hoarders with a happy spin. <laughs> and um, yeah, I was like freelancing for gossip sites. And then I started a podcast with my friend Jordan Rubin. Oh, I know Jordan. And, yeah, best. Love him. And he he's the been the number like he's the person who's been the best to me in LA by far um then we uh then we had on Samantha Ronson which led Sophia Rossi my business partner to listen to it she heard me we became Twitter friends somehow and then like maybe a year into us being friends she was like do you want to do something like a girl funnier die and I was like yeah that sounds cool because I was like saying yes to absolutely everything plus that was my area of expertise like I was like I'll be the internet one so then Zoe came on shortly after Deschanel yes not 
the other Zoe. Yeah. Uh, who was another Zoe? Um, Kravitz. Kravitz. Yeah. Th- th- those, they might be the only two. Yeah. She's dealing with anorexia. Zoe I Kravitz. I know that. She was. She was. And that's what I read. She's coming out about it now. Okay. Yeah. That's brave. Yeah. It is brave. Um, and it's also to promote a new movie in which she plays an anorexic girl. <laughs> okay. Um, well, that's very method of her. Right? Um, but yeah. So then we started this website and it actually... I started writing my two broke girls spec around the same t- – or it wasn't a spec of the show, but a spec to get hired because mm-hmm. I knew that that show was coming up. Which show did you do a spec of? I just wrote an original pilot. And then I don't I don't, I don't, don't really advise people to do that anymore. I don't know if like people are still writing specs of like The Office. Maybe like if you get into like trying to get into a diversity program or like at the NBC Writers Program or something, you probably need a spec. But mm-hmm. – I think it's probably just better to write an original pilot. Just want to say that because I feel more bad good tips. Yeah, I feel bad when someone's like, "I finally have you know my according to Jim spec done," <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh man, that's such a bummer that you spent six months of your life writing a script for a show you will never work for because it's not on the air." So um, yeah, I um, I wrote the script that it got me hired at Two Broke Girls and Hello Giggles launched in the same week. And so like basically all the pokers I'd had in the fire like ignited at once, mm-hmm. which was very exciting and also very overwhelming. I was going to say, were you stressed that it all happened like that? I just remember feeling like like my, like my prayers had been answered because I had had – it was not – easy like for me in LA for a while like I had no bed (laughs) I slept on a hardwood floor for six months of my life like that's kind of bleak and so when this happened not even an air mattress um I had by the way I don't think are as comfortable as some people are trying to tell me they are yeah that's I mean that's kind of the main reason why I didn't I had an air mattress but it constantly was deflating Mm -hmm. I couldn't afford a new one but plus they're not that great for you it's almost better just to throw some blankets on the floor and make a little nest so uh yeah I just felt really relieved I think I finally felt like oh my god like security is a possibility for me Mm -hmm. because I had been spent so much time feeling so like I I I I still fear that I'll like become homeless like all the time and were you afraid to go home as a failure because I know that when I moved to New York I was I don't know that I really even considered it but to me this like so many people were so happy for me that I was moving there but I felt like I wonder if in the back of their head is this idea that oh she'll be back in a year what did you move to New York as like uh, I'm gonna move to New York and make it yes I'm gonna be, arrive and be the toast of the town that but my you thought. already are you're this <laughs> but, is the thing is LA is the place to make it right um but I did this well, I didn't want to stay in California, and this was years and years ago when I moved to New York to to be a because I was already writing for magazines, and right. so I was going there. And to, that was that's ha- where you had to be to yeah. do that. Yeah. So I guess what I'm wondering is, it sounds like for a while when you were in LA, you were trying to make it, but you were struggling. And did you feel this? Did you feel like the like God? I don't want to go home. Constant visualization of me living in my brother's Sacramento <laughs> Kings themed bedroom. <laughs> That was like constant <laughs> visions. Just okay. like, yep, like, you know, my mom and I didn't had never fought once until I like hit my 20s because I was afraid of her. And um, I also really love her. But um, we started to like argue more when, when I reached my 20s. And I was like, 
So I'm going to have to live at home with my mom who hates me and I'm probably going to work at Dunkin Donuts and like I've completely wasted my degree like I don't I don't even know where I would start like what would I get do would I have a car like would I like have a marketing job I'd probably definitely have to live in the suburbs like it just like I would I was already like planning out my dual life like because mm-hmm. in part of me has never left Massachusetts and believes that there's a version of me floating around somewhere out, out there that's like married to a gym teacher. <laughs> Who's like not nice. Yeah. Yeah, is that one having a good life or no? If if she's married to a mean gym teacher, it sounds like no. I don't think so. I don't I think that there's parts of her life that charm her, but I don't think overall she's very happy, no. Okay. <laughs> so, you were working for Two Broke Girls uh-huh. uh, from the beginning, yeah, of that show and doing Hello Giggles. Um, which I had to slow down to say it because I feel like something's going to come out of my mouth that's not Hello Giggles. Yeah. It's sort of difficult to say. It's a, For me, at least. Yeah. it's a, it, it looks better on, on the page. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, yeah. I did both of those things for three years straight at the same time. And then after doing a show that wasn't – that I loved but wasn't my, wasn't my voice or passion um, – anymore like towards the end of the third season I just was like hmm not not sure that this is the same show that I started on um and you know just having to run a company on my pee breaks like (laughs) that was um I just was really ready to get back to myself like I had I kind of lost who I was for a while because my all of my time was going into other people's brands. And like, even though, yes, a very big part of me is Hello Giggles. That's how I was able to create the editorial side of it. It just is also, I'm a little darker than Mm -hmm. that. I skew a little darker. And Hello Giggles is all about that family friendliness. So So when you say getting back to you and getting back to your own voice, um, what are you doing now with that? And has that been difficult? Oh, yeah. I have plenty of my own voice now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been – if anything, sometimes I'm like, geez, this really is what you wanted, huh? Um, but, I, you know, I've just been, like, freelancing, like, trying to get back into the groove of just being able to crank out a lot. Are you pitching stories? Uh, no, I just tell – like, I pitch, like, five ideas mm-hmm. every couple of days, and they'll pick one, and then it's not – I mean, it's just thought catalog. I, I don't mean to downplay it, but it's like you can kind of literally write whatever mm-hmm. as long as it's, you know, all thoughts are relevant. That's what they say. That's so open. So, I know. It's very – it's very open. So um, I've been freelancing and writing my spec and, you know, um, just, like, spending a lot of time, like, rolling around on the couch and, like, reading books and, like, listening to – podcasts and and you host a podcast i host Please a advise. podcast yes you should call in sometime with a question you should even be a guest i would love to do both yeah we gotta have you on to give some advice okay that sounds um, fun yeah so you have a do you have a guest on every episode mm-hmm. you have a guest and you chat with the guest and then you take calls and you offer advice yeah it's fun and we get letters and because the calls are messages people leave us some like because they don't know they, they don't have to deal with us face to face sort of they um will say kind of just anything. And I try to get people to call in when they're drunk or stoned. So I usually start posting about it around like 10 p.m. on a Saturday mm-hmm. when I know people are going to like have a fight and then come home and talk to me drunk <laughs> about it. So, yeah, I bait, I'm i trying to bait the degenerates basically of our society. How did you meet your boyfriend? Doing the show. I met him because I like sent a 
demandy email to my manager saying, why aren't I on Drunk History? And I, <laughs> I had never seen it. I didn't know what it was. It's so it's so it's so stupidly fortunate. Like, you know, that's I it really is a big reason why I am like, so, like such a believer that there is a higher power. But um, yeah, so I sent him that email and and, you know, sure enough, like eventually like we had. Our- Did you feel like you sh- it's funny. I bet all the people trying to make it in this town, if you were to look at their emails and see which show it is, they're saying to their manager, why aren't I on that? You can yeah. interpret a lot about them. Um, was it that you just felt like you'd be good for that show? Was it the an interest in history and drunkenness? Like, what was it that made you feel like, why aren't I doing this show? It was that I knew people in or around my area of success were doing it and I wasn't. And that's what drew me to it. Because uh, again, I had look at my emails. I hadn't <laughs> I totally know. Yeah, what you mean. do you know where I, where I was like? Yeah, it wasn't even like my peers why are is doing he this. Doing yeah. it. I was just like, well, this seems like a a wasted opportunity. Like, let's get me on this drunk history thing. I had, again, I had never seen it, so I didn't know what it was. And I still, I was like, still hadn't seen it when I went to my meeting with Derek. And I, n- no, like sparks did not fly in that first meeting. But it was while we were actually filming the story at my house that I was like, I remember any time Derek wasn't like physically in the room, I would be like, where's Derek? Where's Derek? Like I was looking around everywhere for him, like a nut. And were you aware at that point that you had a crush or not? um, I, yes, because he had to go do a story after. And I remember he would not stop. We would not stop texting each other. And I knew he was with another narrator and he was like, and I thank, God, it worked out because I would be so embarrassed by just this footage existing slash like the text that follows slash like the next day waking up hungover being like, I think I'm in love with him. And then like (laughs) not wanting to make a move because I didn't want to be that girl who you have eight hours of footage of me being drunk and now I date you for like two weeks and it's a disaster and you still have that footage and you can do whatever you want with it, <laughs> even though he's the nicest guy. So I kind of just like sat around for a week joining tarot.com trying to find out if we were going to be an astrological love match, like a total nut. And you knew his birthday? I Googled it. Mm-hmm. And I never Google people, but I Googled it. And um, and yeah, and we were an astrological love match. And he did call me that Friday. So I didn't have to wait for long. You know that feeling? I think you probably, when, when I'm you. I'm sure I do. Just like how painful it is to like, thank God that you're married and that I have a boyfriend because that was painful. Like not knowing, dating, not like wondering if you like someone more. Like that whole, like, I, I, if I, I hope I never have to go back to that. Like wondering if, if. I hate it. I hated it it. (laughs) or hated it. I hated it. Although there's something exciting about the very beginning of that Mm -hmm. when you're like, oh, here's a new thing that's going to completely consume me and I'll spend all my time thinking about it and I'll become completely non-productive and uh, I'll start living solely because someone else exists which was way too many years of my life. The the last years of being single weren't like that at all, which I yeah. think is what allowed me to get into a healthy relationship. 100%. But um, yeah, I mean, that's actually what made me realize I need to get this figured out and get read a lot of self-help books. And I mean, I'd already been in therapy, but really figure this out is that the minute I liked someone, then that feeling you're talking about would creep in. 100%. And the yeah. minute there was, the minute I began to feel like 
oh, we're actually dating. Then it was like, now there's a thing I need to manage because now there's something I can lose, which is this person's interest in me. And then I just mm-hmm. went off the deep end in terms yeah. of overthinking everything, not being myself, worrying about how everything I say is going to come across. With Daniel, that's my husband, um, there really wasn't any of that somehow. Yeah. And I think that's what that's why we're together. Um, I know that he pretty early on said, I just want you to know I'm going to tell people that I have a girlfriend if they ask. And I was flattered, but it seemed very fast to me. And I said that I wasn't ready to use the word boyfriend yet, but I'm not seeing anyone else and I don't want to see anyone else. Mm -hmm. But I just, that was sort of that one vestige of the old way of thinking was if I, if I refer to this as a relationship and if I, refer to you as my boyfriend and think of myself as your girlfriend, I'm afraid then it'll be this thing that I'm afraid I have to manage. Yeah. So it, I was just a couple, a few weeks behind him probably in terms of being okay with it. Yeah. But I know that was Derek, did Derek say this kind of stuff first to you? Um, We said like, I love you after the first week together. Like we just, it was like, <laughs> I, it, it was, it was so like, oh, this is what, everything else hasn't been mm-hmm. like it just was like oh this is so easy he calls me because he wants to talk to me like we genuinely want to be around each other like the first thing that I mean it just was like we would stay up till five o'clock in the morning just because we had so much to say to each other and a lot of the times it would just be like us saying I love you back and forth to each other for like three hours straight <laughs> like it was just it was very I, I said to him, I know we both thought at the beginning we had moments where we were like, so wait, I just want to make sure I don't know if I'm crazy and maybe I just really want to love someone, but are you crazy? Do you just really want to love someone? Because maybe we're just two crazy people that like aren't really in love. We're just mental and, and are dying for affection. And he's like, thought about that. And he's like, I don't <laughs> think that's it. He's like, I thought about that too, though. And I'm glad you're like, so we did a lot of like asking each other because I met his parents like three weeks after we started dating. I was spending Christmas like with them. Like that's, that is weird. That's not normal. And mm-hmm. in fact, if some person called into my podcast and said that they were thinking about doing this, I'd say, girl, take a break. But it was just, it only, it just, yeah, it not being together it made no sense so yeah it's just now you know we've been together a year and a half we don't say i love you for three hours every night but <laughs> it's still there you know he's great do you live together Mm-mm. how come um well there's a few reasons one we're not engaged and i don't want to move pick up my shit mm-hmm. again until there's some sort of greater life promise made um two both neither of us are in a position yet exactly where we need to be in order to own a home and i feel like that is what he's certainly much closer to it than i am but um i feel like that's an important step that would need to happen i don't think like us us hardly moving into a like a one bedroom apartment together with my dog him at the age of 35 me at the age of 31 it just sounds young to me it mm-hmm. seems like misguided so um i kind of just i think people just want to wait and continue to get to know each other and you know you, you learn so much about a person like when you get to the stage when it, where it's a year and a half where it's like not only is is are all the you know 
not only am I not getting a blowout every single time before I come to your house <laughs> anymore, but we've had some like really weird fights. We've had some really important fights. We've had some tests. Like if anything, we're closer now than we've ever been. But also at the same time, I think further away from moving into each moving in with each other mm-hmm. because but in a good way I don't know if that makes sense I think we're both just a little bit more like relaxed about it I know at the beginning of us dating we were both like let's get married let's just do this and thank god you know we didn't do that because I think that would have been a lot a lot of unnecessary pressure yeah I didn't I, I the way it came out it came out sort of judgmental like you should be and that's not at all what I meant to say just the way no. you were talking it I was envisioning that you guys did live together. People always think we live together. No, but we, sp- I spend, uh, you know, he's gotten my dog a little like crated his house and we'll come over and we spend whole weekends together and just do it like that. He's so mm-hmm. busy right now that I never really get to see him anyway. So does he, he must travel a lot, um, right? For the show. I, I usually know I travel with him. He does spend a month on the road and I can't do that, but, um, like if he's going to South by or something, I go with him. That's like kind of what he's worked out. Um, just I think it's easier for him to – I think I think it's more fun and it's easier for him if I'm there because then I can just, you know, help him out. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean the first time I saw him in a hotel room, I, he was like losing everything and he didn't know where anything <laughs> was and I was just like – What'd you do before me? Like, did you just like <laughs> throw out all your clothes in every city you went to and start anew? Like, what is going on? So, um, yeah, we'd usually travel together. He doesn't travel too much, but um, it's definitely more travel than I've, I've done in this last year than I did any other years in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to get to just me or everyone, but just one last question. I know that you're going to do staffing season or you're doing it now or I should say for people who aren't in the industry yeah um there's all these terms in the industry and that refer to certain parts of the calendar like pilot season or staffing season or this those are actually related I never know when they are oh yeah I barely do it's around this time like this is the time that all the pilots that um were were got approved to be made or being made and then within the next two weeks is when decisions start to happen about what's getting picked up and then the things that get picked up. Oh, this re- Okay. So this relates to on my Thursday show, um, my friend Greg just announced that his pilot got picked up. Oh, this awesome. all makes sense calendar wise. Yeah, yeah. So is this sta- it's staff, it's pilot season now or we're at the end of pilot season or the beginning? Uh, well, we're at the, uh, beginning of the end. <laughs> I think because I I think that now is the time where people are going to start getting information about whether or not it was picked up or not. Pilot season, in my mind, is like maybe, that's auditioning, right? Um, that can refer to if in the, for actors. That's oh, like everyone has a different calendar. Yeah, every yeah. every yeah. <laughs> like if you're a writer, you don't. The actors are dealing with pilot season like a month ago right a month and a half ago because that's when they have to audition to be in the thing that's been approved to be made but then once that thing is either yayed or nayed by the network if if you're a go then you have to get a staff so hence staffing season staffing season is when the shows that have been picked up that are good that you know you figure out what you want and um you go for it so basically you just set up meetings through your team and you go every day dog and pony show I think like my mistake last year was that I would overdress like because being uh put together in the two broke girls room was a very 
like everyone had to just dress nicely every day. That was like kind of the thing. And so I would I was showing up to staffing meetings like in There's a, a lot of pressure. In out- I'm st- stuck on that thing as someone who whenever I have to get dressed, it's always some kind of hand wringing like a fuck situation. Yeah. Um, the pressure to always be put together. Was that explicit or? Um, look, it just wasn't like I was in a room with like rich ass people like they were millionaires like they hadn't not had like excellent facials or (laughs) like or like Hermes blankets or whatever they hadn't not had that in like 30 years so So, they just were naturally put together me coming together off the street the little like (laughs) ragamuffin I was I was getting my I was dyeing my own hair when I got the call that I got the job, I had $32. So like I did not know what was going on. And just when I started to realize that my American apparel hoodies were like not the chicest thing in the room, <laughs> I, you know, you, you just read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had to come to work looking nice. Like, right. And it, it just it's I think it, from that generation of TV, maybe even like there was always this like we got to dress up on show night. And like, uh, you know, people put on like suits and dresses to go to go work. And I was like, this makes no sense to me. I feel like if I want to be creative, I need to be like in the bottom of a sleeping bag, like (laughs) inside of some emotional burrito, like in order to like think straight. So, um, yeah, the dressing up was a part of it. And so I think I dressed up for my meetings a little bit too much. I think it was like. And then do you think that that conveyed the wrong message? I think it just like mischanneled energy probably mm-hmm. is like oh like this girl really thought it was important to like curl her hair before her meeting today when she probably should have like been reading the script for the seventh time mm-hmm. which you know i do read everything like three or four five times you know but um do sorry i have to ask this question i know that you were just in a in a very roundabout way on the cameron esposito episode of your podcast talking about not enjoying answering this kind of question tangentially but this idea that you are overdressed for a meeting that might be conveying something do you think men deal with that um no I think men do not deal with that but and that's actually a kind of a lesson that I've tried to take from my male counterparts which is like well if they can look that shitty I can look that shitty too I almost wonder if sometimes and I don't know the answer, but I'm wondering if it's better to look shitty on that because then that'll allow you to be taken more seriously. I mean, that's kind of what I'm going to start experimenting. It sounds with this like year. you're semi saying that. Uh, what I'm saying this year is that this year I'm not going to like st- like stress if my jeans have like um, a coffee bean wet spot on them. Like I'm not going to mm-hmm. like writers need coffee. This is very it's all falls together, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess I I guess. Yeah, less makeup, not caring. So you, so part, so for you, staffing season involves going to meetings and you refer to it as a dog and pony show. Do you, see, because my, having never done this, I'm like, but shouldn't the stuff you've written just help you get the job or not get the job? Yes, uh, but also it's about jiving tonally with the creators of the show because regardless of what you've written, you're now trying to write what they've written right so it's so, like they it's like they want to make sure they're gonna like working with you right it, it's all really what it, it all boils down to is you can be the best writer in the world but if you come across as someone that spending 12 hours a day in a room with is going to be like miserable that will cost you every job so what kind of things do you do to 
come across as not the person that would drive them nuts. And Wendy now has a water bottle. So hopefully this, if Jeff, if it's her favorite new toy, we actually gave her a water bottle to play with. Um, If the sound is coming through the mics, tell me and uh, we'll do something about that. Oh, she's so cute. Thank you. Wendy. Love it. Um, so yeah, how do you try to come across likable? Um, okay, so actually I started taking I started realizing that I can sense my nervous energy when it's coming on, so I just take half a lorazepam. Oh. <laughs> I drug myself. <laughs> now I drug myself. That's what I learned this year. Is because I think that I was in an attempt to, you know, I grew up like in Boston, like thinking I was gonna have a normal job, so I was trained for that. Like I'm but like, you know, I, I realized the other day I don't really know how to put together a resume anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was like that's really sad because that used to be like something I like prided myself on after graduating college. Um, I, I guess I, I guess I just try to um, be chill. Wendy, Speaking I'm so chill, jealous. Of chill you. for a moment as I grab this water bottle. Oh, I got it. <laughs> she just handed it to me to to play with her, and I just took it away. And now she lo- just looks like what. Just happened. How did I walk right into that? How did you walk into that, Wendy? Okay, enough of Wendy time. She's doing that thing that dogs do where the corners of their mouth get long. Yeah. Do you know that? I love that. That's yeah. my favorite dog thing. Well, that's so interesting that you take the edge off to be more likable because I feel like, I don't know what it is that I'm overcompensating for, but I feel like I need to be more like up and alert to be likable. Mm, see, I view you as some I just a little I know you from today and listening to your podcast I view you as someone with a pretty even temperament and actually I feel like thank you it's the best compliment ever I'm not sure it's true but I love it I feel like you um I could like I could see you doing well in a lot of different types of work environments like your personality I'm the personality version of like an oval face <laughs> yeah, really wear any frames. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, I but I actually think you would do well in a meeting like that. I just, you know, the thing is, is that I do need to get a job. And so there is a part of me that does is lately that does something that actresses do that really drives me nuts, mm-hmm. which is that insane energy when they come in the room, that it feels like a million hummingbirds just entered the room. <laughs> and like, I feel like that might have been the frequency I was vibing on a little bit last year because I was really afraid for my life. Like I was like, if I don't get a show, like a desperation vibe, a little bit of a, de- a little bit of a desperation thirstiness moment. Mm-hmm. And, um, that just like, doesn't ever read well on anyone. No one ever wants to like hire the person that needs to be there because if they don't, they're going to be homeless. You know what I mean? <laughs> like no one wants to work with that pressure. See, I think that in the past with job searching, in, in publishing, not in entertainment, but in entertainment too. I always would try to play it cool because I never wanted to come across as wanting it too much. Right. But now that I'm on, I'm not really on the other side of it, but now that I'm just not in that, in that position anymore. Well, in a sense, I guess I am actually. Um, I realize that if someone makes their desire to work with you clear, that makes me want to work with them more. Right. Versus someone, I mean, this hasn't come up, but if I were interviewing people for a position, it's about to be another dog moment, I think. If I were interviewing people for a position, the person who came in and was like real cool about it and I felt like I was just one of a number of job opportunities they have, Mm -hmm. that person would not stand out to me. Versus someone who, let's say, sent an email afterwards explaining how much they really want the job, 
And I would have been afraid to send that email because I would have thought it was desperate. But like that would really, I would really take note of that. But I wonder if in entertainment, actually playing it cool is better. You know, it's a fine line because you're right. You do have to be the person that's like, I'm passionate about this. I want to work on this show because of this, this, and this. But like also being able to say that without like nervously shaking. Yeah. It's like that. And that's what's hard is because I feel like when you allow yourself to want something like that, it's because you really really do like you spend a pilot season like reading these pilots and trying to pick a favorite and then meeting with the people that like determine your fate like that is it's a lot of pressure and sometimes it's hard to come off and not come off like a little bit I think and this is for jobs and for dating even though I felt like in the past my problem has been that I've allowed them to I've used the same approach for both or I flip-flopped them I think you what you always you can express interest, like a very genuine, um, earnest interest, but underneath it all, it has to be, but you know what? I'm going to be fine either way. Yeah. You will be. Because I think that's what turns people off in both situations is the idea that suddenly you're making them responsible for your emotions. Right. Like your life depends on their yeah. decision. Because then that can make people go, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about that person. And that's why I always think you have to like be so open to options because most things don't work, you know, unfortunately. So that's why you have to just be like, all right, so if I don't get staffed this season, what are my like two other backup plans? And honestly, like I'm not, I'm like kind of wonder. I'm like, maybe I just go get a job working at a web company. I like have experience doing that. I can go do that. At one point, blog, like being a professional blogger was, was that your kind of, and was that what you thought you wanted to do for a while? I didn't, I was directionless. And then it was actually the guy that got me to start drinking all the time <laughs> that pointed out to me, you know, Molly, you can make a lot of money as a TV writer. And I was like, wait, why? Like, how, who? And he was like, he's like, you're really good at writing. He's like, people know you. He's like, this, all, every show that got picked up this year has the word girl in it. He's like, this is a good thing for you. This is a time for you to try and get in there. And so over like a month and a half, I just wrote a spec script and went. But I had no, I didn't come out here to be a TV writer. I didn't know what my options were. I, did, I mean, like, I think I thought maybe I'd be an actress until I started auditioning for things that I had no business auditioning for and uh, was not getting them and was shocked that, to find out that acting is a real thing that you have to try at. Once you had that spec script, um, what did you do with it or how did you then? I sent it to Whitney. I got it to Whitney Cummings because did she... Did you know her? Um, I knew her through Jordan Rubin because she had come on our podcast mm-hmm. and I hadn't really spoken to her, but she actually wound up buying my desk from me <laughs> when as I was so poor that I just started selling everything I owned and she came and bought my desk for $200 and um, I think she did it because she thought I didn't like her. Like I think... I think that we what we we figured out many years later was that we were both afraid that the other one thought we hated each other sort uh-huh. of thing. And so she came about my desk almost as like a peacekeeping mission. <laughs> and um, so I had her email address from that. And so I just said, you know, um, to my business partner, Sophia, who's also friends with Whitney, I said, I'm going to send Whitney this. Can you just like talk it up a little bit? And then Whitney read it and gave it to Michael Patrick King and I went in and met with them um and kind of you know I kind of found out later that day that I got the job but the actual offer didn't come through till May 18th I think Mm -hmm. of that year did you buy another desk 
I did actually no I I had Whitney's because Whitney Whitney wound up giving me her old desk because she's like I have this new desk and I now I don't need this do you want it and I was like okay and so the Whitney desk was with me for like <laughs> three three apartments after uh-huh. yeah let's do just me or everyone oh, I love this sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done is it just me All right. Laura Broder says, say cancel, cancel, cancel out loud when I almost mistakenly close the wrong file. No, I don't do that. But I do have that feeling of like, oh, when I accidentally close a window that I didn't mean to close. Yeah, I think that's just just you. I I do an internal freak out as well. There is some um command though that'll reopen a window that just closed do you know what it is uh-uh. i don't either i mean i could easily google and Macs find out are so ahead of me now like i feel like i stopped i wasn't blogging for one year i came back max are like totally different things i feel like steve jobs died and the shit hit the fan like all the, <laughs> i don't know where all the little like up is down down is yes up. it's crazy yes i remember when it switched the up and the down they're and manipulating the our direction. brains they probably are. That's exactly what it is because they're teaching us new symbols for all of these like classic symbols that used yeah. to always mean the same. It, they are. They're molding our minds. Anyway. Jeremy Vu says, I feel like Netflix is totally judging me when it asks me if I'm still watching a show I'm binging on. Um, I don't know if I feel like it's judging me, but I do feel like it's sort of like in a bathroom with an automatic light when it shuts off and I'm like, I'm here. And you move your hands around. I feel like, what did I not do that makes, have I not pressed something recently enough that is making you think that I'm no longer here? Although I think I read that it's just on the third episode. If you're binging on something, it'll ask you. Yeah. I feel, I judge me. I don't (laughs) think Netflix, I feel Netflix judges me when they suggest certain things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that one is, um, not just you, but it might be. Christy Vacationista says, I'm obsessed with the secretary at the boardroom on Celebrity Apprentice who seems to do nothing but doodle in a tiny notebook. I haven't watched Celebrity Apprentice in a long time, so I'm not familiar with this particular doodling secretary. Me neither. But she does sound like someone who would catch my attention. Yes, me too. Jeff, I'm going to guess you don't watch Celebrity Apprentice. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Okay. It's not just you, but it's not us. Well, you know, I, the only time I did watch it was when they actually, I can say this now, they threw me under the bus. You? When, yeah, when Adam was on it. Uh-huh. There was a whole, it was the whole season wrap up where they pretended that, that they, they weren't getting the footage in time. And oh my God. And it was the big. Uh, with uh, Jordan? My, Mag- with, I mean, uh, jo- Magic, Johnson? Magic Johnson. Yeah. yeah. And I was the one delivering the footage and they acted on the show like I had screwed up and not oh, delivered the footage. But I, th- thought- I mean, they didn't name me, but. Gotcha. And it was totally made up. Right. I, I fully got them the stuff in time. Nice. And I said, never again. Yeah. But I'd never watched You're it. You're no anyway. one's pawn. Yeah. But wasn't there a whole thing with Gary as well? Or maybe just Adam was mad at Gary about something. I thought Gary got the short end of some stick celebrity apprentice wise too. Probably. I don't know. Anyway. Well, and I thought it was all real. Okay. Ryan Hero says, just mirror everyone. Hate, hate, hate when people reply to texts with K or just an emoji. For example, a thumbs up. Um, I am okay with those responses to a text. In fact, I think that K, I might find that to be more conversational than okay. I find K to be tough. 
I I don't mind an emoji, mm-hmm. but I al- <laughs> I also feel that like usually when you get a K or an emoji, it's someone telling you to shut up, that the conversation's over, and to please stop texting. Oh, now I am going to see it that way. It does see because it does seem that way. It doesn't invite a response. Well, XO is the international symbol for like conversation over. Like, I didn't even know that. I'm done here. XO. That's what that. I mean, I think that's what that means. I never. I guess you're right. Well, it's a good thing I don't ever use it in a text then. Yeah, I do that. I'm I'm one of those. I do lots of X's and O's. I use them in emails mm-hmm. um, sometimes. But I always wonder, does this feel weird when I'm doing it? Like, does, is this not me? But there's just no good sign off for an email, you know? Do you have good phone boundaries? Like if you were piling, if your texts were going off right now, would that be driving you nuts? Or can you deal knowing that there's someone trying to contact you and you just can't be... You can't engage right now. Well, it's funny you say that because I did look at my phone during the Just Me or Everyone song, which is typically when I check my phone. Uh, and I saw that I have a missed voicemail from my dad. Mm. And so that instantly makes me go, uh-oh, who's dying? What's going 100%. on? 100%. And so then I checked my email because I feel like he would email me or text me. Well, he wouldn't text because he doesn't know how to text. But um, there's nothing else going on. And so I think that if there were some kind of emergency, my home phone which I seldom ever use, but we do have, would be ringing or my phone would be like blowing up more. Yeah. But that is actually slightly, I'm wondering what's going on with that. Um, I can't, ha- what I can't handle are a bunch of IMs. Like a text, yeah. my, in- my inclination when I see a text will be like, oh, I have to, and then I can pretty easily shut that off. Unless there's someone like, hello, where are you? Hello. Which doesn't happen to me often because I would get that person out of my life because that's too much. Hello. And a text, it's like, no, that's not how texts work. I'm not going to see the third hello Um, if I haven't seen the first. Right. But the IMs, like I look at young younger people who have a thousand IM windows open and I think, how do you work? Because I can't, I cannot, I'm never on IM because of that. Because that I find to be so, I can't ignore it. I don't. I wasn't aware that people still used that. See, they probably aren't. <laughs> they probably don't. I think it's all through your phone now, isn't it? This doesn't. Strangely, a lot of business people still use IM to communicate. Yeah, with yeah. Other, yeah, desk yeah. There to was desk. there was a, a company that I was doing some work with last year, and they said, "Oh, what's your IM handle?" And they had three different ones. What's your IM handle on this? Where? And I was like, "I don't use IM. Who uses IM?" Yeah. Right. But they did. They do. Yeah. Yeah, at Time Out New York, they wanted us all to be on Bonjour, Bonjour. <laughs> which is, I think that's Apple's, na- is that Apple's native IM thing? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, but some people use Gchat quite a bit, Yeah, but I don't. It depends on the job. I When I was working in like news and stuff, that was important to be on IM all day. Right. But um, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad I don't have that pressure. It's a lot. And I really don't want to talk to anyone. Yeah. Well, so how are you if your phone's going off? Um, I just, I do what you did or I assume someone's dying always yeah. if, or if someone doesn't answer the phone, like if, especially if it's like my boyfriend or something, I'm like, that's really weird. Like normally he answers the phone. I wonder if he got into a car accident and is at the hospital and they have his phone behind the desk and that's why he's not I, like, I go to a really dark place yeah. when I see too many texts. I constantly feel like I need to respond, which is why I get, think I get so angered when people text me to begin with. <laughs> Would you prefer they leave a voicemail? No. 
there's no right answer. <laughs> right. Like, I, it's just, it's my projection onto mm-hmm. the whole experience. All right. Uh, Brenda Burke says, just mirror everyone, like melted butter on toast, but hate melted cream cheese on bagels. Gross. Let bagel cool off a bit before applying cream cheese. No, I don't have that. No, um, I don't have that either. But would you prefer melty cream cheese or melty butter? I feel like the cream cheese never melts the way that butter does. Right, so it, it's doesn't. Like, it doesn't become it, Yeah, it'll melt a little bit in there, but then there'll be a little bit on top. But I kind of feel like that's what it's supposed to do. Yeah. But I don't mind if it. I don't mind if it's all congealed. I don't think that's bad. It's cream cheese. That's yeah. Cream. yeah, exactly. All right. Addie says, oh, I feel like we need to hear just snack chat real fast if, since we just chatted about snacks. Snack chat. <laughs> Addie says... I hate telling people what music I like or what I'm eating for lunch because I don't want to hear anyone's opinion on it. Yeah. Yeah. In general, discussing music, I find to be a pressure-filled situation. I think because it's been so long since I've been up on current music and because I used to write about music, so it was such an... And I used to play in a band. It was such a big thing Mm -hmm. that I think anyone who knows that about me there's this expectation. And so then when I'm like, no, I like the same stuff I liked 10 years ago. And, um, I haven't heard of half people you're going to mention. I'm very out of music. I think I just feel shame, I guess. I don't know. I'm the same way. I used to know things. Now I don't. Yeah. Just, yeah. Let's not talk about what I don't know. Right. (laughs) Jeff. I feel like, it's hard to have a conversation with people because a lot of people that are really into music, they're the same kind of people that are really into audio gear or really into photography or really into golf where, they don't really want to have a discussion. They just kind of want to tell you how much they know about the yes, subject. Right. So as soon as somebody's really gung ho about music, I just go, ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Kristen Lish- Lishawid says, what theme music do you hear in your head after the HBO static? Uh, hashtag just mirror everyone. Curb your enthusiasm. So that's what, what she hears. No, I hear uh, Sex and the City. Me too. Me too. Probably. I mean, Curb is my, the preferred show for me. Right. But same. It's. I've just watched Sex and the City so many times. Yeah. And it's that fizzle. And then I would always dive on the remote so like in time to hopefully not hear Arliss. Oh yeah. Did you watch Arliss? No. I, who did anyone watch Arliss? I, I don't. No clue what it's about. No, me neither. Because I would turn it so fast. Yeah. I feel like this has come up before on the show, and there's someone who likes Arliss out there. I feel like there are people who like Darlis. Yeah. Is it still on? No. No. I don't even know who was in it, Jeff. Arliss? It was the Larry Sanders of sports. It was uh, Robert Wall was the main character. <sighs> Did you like it? It was okay. It was okay. What music do you hear in your head? Um, I was trying to think. I can't, I can't picture. You hear the entourage theme. <laughs> no. I like. I, it's been so long since I've had HBO that I would say it's probably The Sopranos. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good answer. Solid answer. Amy Vaughn Wood says, sprinkles look fun, but I hate them. How can you hate sprinkles? Mm. I mean, I guess you can't. They do. Too many sprinkles will get like a particular artificial flavor, but I just. Hate's a strong word I know it really is. Yeah. Huh. I love rainbow sprinkles, but I think the ones that are just like colored sugar, Mm -hmm. I can see that being a bummer. I don't like too much like just like a blast of sugar. Do you mean like where look? It's almost like the sugar version of glitter. Yes. Okay. You All know right. those? I think some people consider those yeah. sprinkles. There's a 
Now, sprinkles to me are the, like the ones that look like little skinny, skinny pills. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought of them that way. Totally. You're right. If you were an elf, those are pills for you. <laughs> you could do like a Valley of the Dolls with sprinkles and elves. Um, and lastly, Amy Vaughn Wood says, grossed out by my manicurist band-aid touching me. Um, I could see that. So grossed out. Because you you should not be working in water if you have a cut on your hand. Yes. So it's yeah. My mom has a sorry mom. She has a toe fungus from some place <laughs> that's like you know it's supposedly clean, and she got a toe fungus from it. And I just was like, well, that's my, that's a nightmare. Because I'm a big nails person. I love to have my hands done. So I was just yeah. That's I'm sorry that happened to you. <laughs> Your nails look name? so good, by the way. Oh, her her name is Amy Von Wood. I've been Amy. noticing your nails match your jacket. Oh, thank you. Yeah, red's my fave color. By the way, I just want to say it because I'm so excited to be here and I'm a fan of the show. I'm seeing the TV tables IRL and I completely... <laughs> Oh, okay, no. oh, um, Derek's a TV table person. I'm not. I'm a Daniel in this okay. world where I'm gotcha. kind of like, why do we need to? We have meals at the table. Let's. But I also, I would. I wanna. I wanna eat a meal on that TV table. I think that you have a really. This. This is good. This is. Thank good. you. You don't look at that and you. You don't think. Um, um. Wow. They have a trailer parked in their driveway. I don't think. Oh yeah, that's the permanent setup. Like I'm oh, not. Well, like, that's where you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, th- that's, I, in my mind, those will be tucked away and pulled out probably daily once the real table gets there. <laughs> is that wrong? Is that? Is no, it, I no. know, th- I know this how ha- the vibe this ha- this apartment gives off is just moved in, <laughs> in the process of getting set up. Mine is like that too. <laughs> I just live too many places to fully move in. Yeah. Because I just know it's not going to be the last place we live. And I mean, just recently, Matt Myra shamed me so much that I put more stuff on the walls. And I actually like it. I, I think it's an improvement oh, to have yeah. more stuff. It's mostly this, and for the audience, it's not quite coming alive. But there's a couple walls that were very, very blank. And I put up some stuff now. And it does feel more homey. Um, but I think I said to Daniel, we should do this on all the walls. And he looked at me kind of with the look, the look that mirrors how I feel emotionally about it, which is, we could, but... Uh. It's just right. It's just we're not going to be here forever. But then I also understand that. But we're not going to be here on this earth forever. So why not make each day, yeah, the most decorated? It's a fine line between like, am I really going to want to fill that? If you if you have a year here, mm-hmm. hang up the stuff. Right. But if you're like visualizing yourself at Home Depot getting stuff to fill up the holes before you leave here, so you don't get your security deposit taken, right? You can visualize that moment. I'm I'm with you and not hang stuff up we should hang stuff up then because we want to buy a house but the truth is i can't imagine even if that happened it would probably take like at least a year yeah to move out and i did the the security deposit holes in the walls thing is part of the reason that i don't do it but then daniel said that that doesn't bother him because he knows how to spackle or whatever it is you do (laughs) I forget what his, why he felt like it was, why he didn't want, oh, I know. He feels like the stuff that we have, like this place is too nice for the stuff that we have to hang. Okay. Although everything of his is framed. Yeah. Surprisingly, I feel like, you know, it's less about, this is a sad statement. It's less about what you hang on the walls than just slapping shit on there that makes it look more homey and lived in, regardless of what it is. Even if it's like some kind of Lucha Libre poster, which is not what he has, but... 
It's sort I'm of an in- advocate for framing. Yeah. I think that that's like a splurge, like like dry cleaning, something I did not afford myself in my 20s. But when I hit my 30s, I was like, time to start getting a mat and a frame and yes. some real business going on here. You can drop a lot of money on that, as I discovered Whew. somewhat recently in Aaron Brothers. Oh, yeah. Oh, and Aaron Brothers is where you get the deals. Like, they're I mean, highway robbery, some of these framing places. Yeah. That's, like, very – that's, like, a very common thing, actually, when you're, like, thrift shopping or um, going to, like, a – you should always look at the frames, basically, because oftentimes the frames are worth more than the art inside of them. And so they'll just charge $10 on what is actually, like – a $90 frame. This episode has been not only super entertaining, but there's been so much useful info <sighs> for people who are trying to get staffed on a show and or buy something in a thrift shop. Yeah. That's and more. Specialties. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh my God, please. I feel like I stalked you and bullied you into this. No, no, you didn't. I know because you contacted me on Twitter and then we then we were texting and you gave me your email. No, no, no. This is what happened. You contacted me on Twitter and we were going back and forth on Twitter. And then I said, do you want to be on the show? And you gave me your number, but I hadn't gotten back to you yet. And then you were then you were worried that you had frightened me. And so you gave me your email. And I was like, no, you haven't frightened me at all. I just haven't had a chance. Because I was like, I just discovered you. And so like, I was like, certainly, like, there's no way I'll follow this Allison Rosen girl. There's no way she knows who I am. And I was just like, Allison Rosen is following you. And I was following you already, too. And I was like, how did that happen? So then, yeah, it all... It all came together, but I genuinely wanted to reach out and be like, hey, strong, resilient female, what's up? Respect you. <laughs> oh, thank you. I I knew exactly who you were, and I'd known who you were for a while. Actually, I think it might have been Daniel who knew who you were first, because he was familiar with the to-do videos. Oh, really? Which is not what they were is called, Is Daniel right? here? Yeah. He's not here right now. He's at work. I know. I'm bummed I didn't get to meet Daniel. I know. when Because uh, to- today, when he left for work, I said... Um, it's part of the morning conversation we have, which is creeping into late morning lately. Um, but it's like, oh, are you doing a show today? Blah, blah, blah. Because it, uh, it affects what condition the bathroom is left in. Uh-huh. And I said, yes, I have um, Molly coming at four. And he's like, oh, he's all excited. Oh, Maybe uh, he didn't I'm, say it in such a girly way. Tell him that I leave my underwear all over my apartment. I and will. never clean it up for gas. So if you want to close or not close that door, I'm 100% behind that. Thank She's you. She's my snuggleberries. <laughs> <laughs> um thank you so much for doing the show thank i'm gonna come around me. and we're gonna plug all your stuff but first we have a ringtone available hey 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 go, go fuck yourself get that by searching hey go fuck yourself on your iphone in the itunes store we have two special bonus episodes available recorded live at the la podcast festival first one with doug benson and greg proops the next one with doug benson musician matt costa and the former thursday gang and those are a dollar 99 in the comedy album section of the itunes store you can follow me on twitter at allison rosen you can follow the show's twitter feed at ariymbf um follow me on instagram at allison rosen and my facebook page uh facebook.com slash slash I did not need to give you all that extra information it's just the Allison Rosen that's the public page oh if you're gonna buy something on Amazon which you should because they have everything click through the banner on my website AllisonRosen.com it doesn't cost you anything extra it helps out the show thank you for the Amazon support thank you for the PayPal support there's PayPal links on the right side of my website um Jeff where should we go for you you can find me at Colonel Jeff Fox on Twitter Facebook and also Twitter Perfect. Go to all three of those. Okay, so everyone should go pre-order your ebook or order it depending on when this airs. 
It's called The Alcoholic Bitch Who Ruined Your Life, mm-hmm. right? It's not that alcoholic. It's the, right? The Alcoholic Bitch, yeah. Okay. And uh, <laughs> what else should everyone check out and where else should they find you? You can just find me on Twitter at Malls, M-O-L-L-S. Um, I'm on Tumblr is that too, but I don't really post there anymore. Um, I write for Thought Catalog sometimes. Just Google me. I'm around. You'll find me. I'm pretty easy to find, I there. think. But I think you are. Yeah. I think so. All right. There you go. Thank you again so much for doing this show. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Yeah, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. 